0: All right, Steve, Galatians chapter 4. And if you would begin at verse 21, read down through verse 31, and you follow in your text. Now, Steve, what translation are you reading from?
1: NIV.
0: NIV. You just uh, read from wherever. And uh, I'll be using a little of the Burleson translation as we go along in explanation of things, okay? All right, Steve, read for us. Follow along, Galatians chapter four, uh, verse 21.
1: Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman his son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a promise these things may be taken figuratively for the woman women represent two covenants one covenant is from mount sinai and bears children who are to be slaves this is hagar now hagar stands for mount sinai in arabia and corresponds to the present city of jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, O barren woman, who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the
0: free woman. All right, thank you. Now, your obvious question is immediately, what in the world does Galatians chapter 4, 10 of those verses just read, have to do with the fellow we're studying by the name of Abraham? Uh, And if you'll remember, we were looking at Abraham, we're doing Hebrews 11, going person by person. But when we came to Abraham, so much of what's said in Hebrews 11 was about Abraham, We decided we couldn't take his story uh, all in one session, so we broke it into three. Abraham the person, Abraham the uh, partner, and Abraham the parent. And uh, we're coming today to Abraham as the parent. Now, um, what I want to do is uh, let you know at the outset that what you would hear this morning is really a lot of history. I hear the inner groans, oh no. Nothing more boring than history. And you may be right in some ways, but I found that that's basically the problem of the one trying to share what history is all about. There's some lousy history teachers, but there are some good ways to recognize the reality of history. When I was at Oklahoma Baptist University as a student, my major was history, my minor was Bible. And so I had the history professors at OBU. Some of them were as boring as they could be. But one of them was a master. I mean, you could not wait to sit at his feet. And he taught history, of all things. One day, one of us in the class asked him, uh, how is it that he that we enjoy his teaching of history so much? Uh, and sometimes it's hard. We didn't get specific with him, but... It's hard to enjoy others, but we really enjoy you. What's the secret? You know what his answer was? He said, I like to teach history like a clothesline. Now, any of you remember what a clothesline was? You remember they had the post and a post and a long line. It could be rope, but usually wire or whatever. And you put a bunch of clothespins on it. Now, we don't do that anymore. We've got washers and dryers, what do you think we do? But by 2027, your washer and dryer is going to be outdated lawfully by the government, and you won't be able to use them the way they are now. That's a different story. We won't get into that. So uh, when I deal with history, I like to think of the clothesline. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at the post on one end, the post on the other end, and the long string of history, and we're going to be putting some clothespins on it that'll help us get a historical uh, understanding of Abraham and his children and the covenants that came beginning with him. Now, uh, still, we might wonder about Galatians 4. Well... Galatians, Paul wrote Galatians to, uh, he and Barnabas went on their first missionary journey in Galatia, which is southwest Turkey. Um, and uh, he later heard of a problem, began to write them, and so when he introduced his letter, he said to the churches at Galatia. They were probably churches that he started, he and Barnabas uh, started themselves. But they had a problem. There were some guy teachers in their churches in Galatia who were teaching to the Gentiles. Now you come on and trust Jesus but mm, go ahead and get circumcised too because you know it's nice to think of grace but don't forget uh, the law so add that and the law of circumcision was what they were talking about. Now um, The book of Galatians was written in probably about A.D. 49. It's maybe the first book of the New Testament. But Paul was trying to address this period when the church was finding out that the people of God are bigger than the nation of Israel. It includes the Gentiles. Now, by the way, Peter was probably one of the problems that uh, Paul was uh, told about in the churches in Galatia because Paul was... He understood Gentiles included, but he, and so he ate with them. But once in a while, so when some highfalut Jews came in, he wouldn't eat with the Gentiles. He'd only eat with the Jewish folks. And uh, Paul took him to task in chapter 2 of this book of Galatians, but we won't go there. But they had that problem. These guy teachers were teaching a merger of the law and grace. I'll tell you what they needed. They needed some gal teachers. Right? So does the Southern Baptist Convention, by the way, if you've been reading about it. Thankful, thank the Lord for crossings who understands the anointing of women with ministry and so on. But these guy teachers were having a trouble because they were merging grace and law. So Paul makes his point that he wants to make clear by going back to Abraham and saying, Now Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. Now he had eight sons, but Isaac and Ishmael, are the only two that matter in this study today. So he goes back and he shows where these two boys, Ishmael by Hagar and uh, Isaac by Sarah are a picture or metaphor or whatever your translation said of covenants. One is a covenant of law. The other is the covenant of grace, and they're based on Ishmael and Isaac, the way they were born. Uh, Isaac was born in the natural, normal way, which speaks to the natural world, and Isaac was born in the supernatural way, which speaks of the covenant of grace. And so he uses them as a difference because those two covenants are totally different. Now, you say, Brother Paul, how is the covenant of law different from the covenant of grace? Well, I'm glad you ask, Because we're going to spend the rest of this morning talking about uh, both covenants and the distinctiveness of both covenants and how they relate together. Now, uh, what I want you to realize is that when we start, we're going to use this clothesline, okay? And we're going to see... In the study today, what I'm calling the the historical context of covenants, okay? So I'm going to give you a whole lot of history. Later on, when Steve asked me to teach again, I'll be teaching some more. We may look at what I would call the theological content of the covenant. But this morning, our emphasis is on the historical context of the covenant. You get the difference. So you're not going to leave here understanding the content of those covenants as much as you will in later time. My hope today is that we'll have this clothesline in our mind with these clothes pins hanging certain things on it so that we'll have the broad picture from the beginning to the end. So let's set the post. We're going to put up our clothesline. The first post is the beginning of time. God created the heavens and the earth, made man and woman. So we have Adam. And then when you look at Bible history, you move on down the line till you come to a guy by the name of uh, 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 Methuselah. You know how long he lived. By the way, Adam was still alive when Methuselah was born. And then years after Methuselah, you come to a guy by the name of Noah. And by the way, when Noah was born, Methuselah was still alive. And then you from Noah moved to a guy by the name of Abraham. and by the way, when Abraham died, Noah was still alive. I mean, when Abraham was born, Noah was still alive. So you have the post. then you have the closed line. Now we come to the first closed pen. And it's called uh, the Abrahamic Covenant, OK? Now, there'd been other covenants, the Noahic covenant at all, but not dealing with redemption. They all dealt with other things. This is the first covenant dealing with redemption, the Abrahamic covenant. Now, we've already looked at Abraham, the person, how he was called out of the Ur of the Chaldees. We looked at the fact that when someone comes into a relationship with God, they get a calling, they get a conversion, and so on. We looked at that. Then we looked at Abraham, the partner, and we saw that while he had a wife, Sarah, and he had another wife, uh, Hagar, in that unfortunate situation, he also had another wife by the name of Keturah who bore him six sons, so he had eight, but only two are significant, the one born to Sarah and the one born to Hagar, Isaac and Ishmael. So today we're coming to Abraham as a parent that's where we start with the whole idea of the covenants now they were called out of the ur they followed the lord they went to the land of canaan and god renewed when he got to canaan the promise the abrahamic covenant you remember when he called him out of ur he said i'm going to make of you a great name uh, a great people i'm going to do great things with you When he got to Canaan and Isaac was born and came that young man that was going to be sacrificed, you remember when uh, uh, Abraham took uh, Isaac into the mountain, somebody asked how old was that boy when uh, Abraham went to slay his son of promise, Isaac? How old was he? We don't know how old he was, but he was old enough to carry all the wood for the altar. So he had to be a little bit more grown up than we might think. Then he asked the question, where's the lamb for the altar? And uh, you remember his father Abraham said, God will provide the lamb. And he really did. There was a ram in the bushes. But the point is being made that at that moment of faith, Abraham believed God. It was counted to him as righteousness. And God renewed his covenant with you. And the covenant has three things about it. First, it has a land, second, it has a seed, and third, it has a blessing attached to it. Now, the land, of course, was the land to which God took Abraham, Canaan. So, did Abraham see that promise fulfilled? Well, sure, he left the Ur of the Chaldees. Remember, we're on this clothesline now. We've already come to the first closed pen, which is the covenant he made with God when he was called out of the Ur and then renewed when he tried to offer us Isaac, he thought in obedience, but the Lord was testing him. Now we see that uh, he's still in Canaan. He's in the land. In fact, listen to Hebrews 11:10. And by the way, 11:9 of Hebrews says Abraham was in Canaan, uh, made his home in the promised land. That's physically Canaan. But like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents. Now, why did Abraham live in tents when he had arrived to Canaan, which was the promised land that God had given him in the covenant? It was because Hebrews 11:10 10 says he was looking for a different kind of city. He was looking for a heavenly city, an eternal city. So in the mind of Abraham, when he heard the covenant, it wasn't just a physical land. It was that, but it was more than that. There was a heavenly nature to the calling of God for him. So when he got to Canaan, he did get the land. He lived there, but he lived in tents. And so did Jacob, and so did uh, Isaac, his son, and so did Jacob, the son of Isaac. They all lived in tents. Why? Because the promise had to do with a bigger city, a, more, uh, a greater city, a heavenly city that goes far beyond just the physical land. Always remember that. The, pro- the covenant with Abraham has to do with an eternal city, the capital city of Jerusalem eternally. Now, did Abraham have a seed? Because that was the second part of the covenant promise. I'm going to give you a land, he did. Physically and yet he was going to give him another eternally And he said I'm going to give you a seed I'm going to make of you many children and that's uh, that actually happened and Galatians three sixteen says that promise Paul saying that promise to Abraham not only was a promise about not seeds but seed singularly Now, hear me here. God did promise he would make out of him a great nation, a great people. But the covenant of Abraham specifically mentions a single seed. Like it mentioned a single city, Jerusalem, being a heavenly one instead of just an earthly one. Who is the one who is the single seed? It is Christ himself, as we're going to see a little later. And so the Abrahamic covenant has to do with a land physically, which he got, but there was coming an eternal place. And the seed physically, which he got, the nation of Israel, we'll see in a moment, but it's also talking about an eternal seed by the name of Jesus. Now, did Abraham become a blessing? Because that's the third part of the Abrahamic covenant. God said, I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you seed and I'm going to give you, make you a blessing to all the nations. Well, he was certainly a blessing to the nation of Israel. We're going to see in a little while. But the point is this, the blessing of Abraham's covenant was to a greater uh, nation than just Israel. It had to do with even all the Gentile nations. Now, back in Abraham's day, you only had two Jews and Gentiles. In Jacob's day, you had Jews and Gentiles. In uh, Moses' day, you had Jews and Gentiles. But the new people of God is going to be made up of the Jews and the Gentiles merged together in one holy nation. Now, can you see that the Abrahamic covenant, that first clothespin, has to do as much with the Lord Jesus Christ as it does any part of the nation of a physical Israel. It is a precursor to all that Jesus was, who he was, how he did it, and what happened when he did it. We'll see that in a moment. But that's the first clothespin. And Paul in Galatians sees uh, that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of everything promised to Abraham whether it was a land, a seed, or a blessing. In Christ, that is eternally fulfilled. And that's what Abraham saw. Now, a lot of the Jewish nation later didn't see that, but he did. And it was counted to him as righteousness. And he's listed in Hebrews 11 in the Hall of Hebrews. Now, uh, and what happens then is we have uh, our first clothespin, the Abrahamic covenant. Now, we need a little more history, so we're going to move along this line because we see Abraham. We've already seen him as a person. We've seen him as a partner. Now as a parent, he has Isaac. We know the fiasco with uh, Ishmael. We saw that last time we studied, okay? But he has Isaac. He is the one born to Sarah, a son of promise. And then Abraham was not only a parent, he was a grandparent, a grandfather. And Isaac married a woman of the name of Rebekah and they miraculously conceived because she couldn't conceive just like Sarah couldn't, but God intervened and they had a couple of boys. One of them's name is Esau, the other one's name is Jacob. They were twin boys. They didn't get along too well. They even fought in the womb. I mean, they struggled before their birth. And then Isaac was born first. Now, remember, in the days of Abraham, generally speaking, the firstborn was given the covenant promise passed down to it. Okay? But we're going to find that didn't always hold true. But that's the way it originally began. And so Jacob and, and uh, his wife Rebecca, uh, I mean Isaac and his wife Rebekah had twins, Esau and Jacob. Now when they were born, old hairy Esau came out first. And then smooth-skinned, handsome uh, Jacob was born immediately after. Now they didn't get along as boys. Later when they were grown, they had a situation that was terrible. Um, Rebecca favored uh, Jacob. Maybe she saw the promise, but favoritism is never the best. And uh, of course, Hagar favored Ishmael. Uh, And, uh, I mean, uh, 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 Esau, not Ishmael. We'll move there for Esau. Esau was a hunter. He went out to hunt. And uh, His father had gotten old enough that he was going to give a blessing. He was going to pass it along. They had this kind of routine where they laid hands on and passed along from the father to the eldest son. So uh, Jacob was going to do that. I mean, Isaac was going to do that. See, I get mixed up on my clothesline if I'm not careful. (laughs) So Jacob and Esau are the two sons of Isaac and Isaac's getting older and he's going to bless them. So he's going to give his blessing to Esau. Mm -mm, Rebecca and Jacob are not going to have anything to do with it. And so they devise a plan and old Jacob kills an animal, puts the skin on his arms and he, you know, uses a falsetto or whatever he has to do with his voice to make him sound as much as he like can like Esau, and it goes in and in old blind Jacob's eyes or in Isaac's eyes, uh, it's not Jacob but it's Esau, and so Abraham gives uh, Isaac gives the blessing to Esau. Well, Esau finds out he's mad as a hornet for rightfully so. And of course, they have all kinds of trouble. But the problem is, it's been given to Esau, the birthright. Well, Jacob knows uh, now that he can fool him. And so uh, he finds Esau hungry, said, I'll trade you your birthright for a pot of porridge. Now, all this is on the clothesline of history. And so Esau said, man, I'm about to starve to death. What's a pot of porridge going to, what's what's a birthright going to do? A pot of porridge is much better, and so I'll trade you. And he gave to Jacob the birthright, and Jacob gave to him the pot of porridge and God recognized Jacob as receiving the birthright. Now, that's where God was going in terms of uh, providential movement all along. But man sometimes tries to interfere, like Hagar, Sarah, and Ishmael, now like Rebekah and Jacob and Esau. But God works his plans according to his providence. Now, Jacob is the one who has received the Abrahamic covenant promises. Now Jacob's the boy through whom's going to come the land, the seed, and the promise. So old Jacob, uh, he lives to be an old age. Now he does have a lot of kids, okay? Not just those two boys. Uh, He had a number, but it's those two that are most important. Jacob then grows up, he marries his wife, Rachel. And Jacob and Rachel, and by the way, you remember the fiasco, Jacob loved Rachel he wanted to marry her, but she had an older sister unmarried and in that day, the hierarchical system was pretty terrible. And so, uh, Abraham, uh, <laughs> Jacob got the hand of the oldest girl by trickery. The father-in-law tricked him and he got Leah. Now, Leah's a nice girl, but she wasn't Rachel. But now he's married to her. So what does he do? Well, he lives for, with her for seven years, and, uh, which was the covenant agreement with his father-in-law. And uh, to her were born four boys. Okay? One of those boys was Judah. Um, Reuben and Simeon and Levi and Judah. And uh, then he got his beloved, Rachel, and to Rachel was born two boys by Jacob, and that's Joseph and Benjamin. You get the picture now. He had another wife that had some more boys. By the time it was all over, Jacob had 12 sons. Now, he calls in old Judah, and he lays his hands on Judah who was born to Levi, you see, the fourth son. Now, wait a minute. What about the first one? There you go. The oldest are kind of stupid people (laughs) because the oldest, uh, Reuben, had messed up by sleeping with his dad's concubine and that just got him out of the picture. His brother, just younger than he, Simeon, had gotten mad because their sister had been raped, and and he did something disastrous, and and, uh, he's out of the line. And then there's Levi, who was never intended to be the line. He was going to be the priesthood line. So that left Judah as the next one. And so Jacob called in Judah, laid hands on him, and gave him the Abrahamic blessing. Now, he blessed all 12 sons. But to Judah found the Abrahamic, fell the Abrahamic covenant. And then he came to Joseph. Oh, Joseph was the oldest. He had one younger brother, Benjamin, from that wife, Rachel, from his real sweetheart. And so he laid hands on Joseph and he blessed him that he was going to see all the other boys bow before him. Joseph had had that dream, you remember? And when he told them how he saw the leven stalks bowing and all that kind of thing and they got furious at him. Well, uh, that was part of the, the blessing. And so the boys got mad, sold him into Egypt. You remember the story. They were going to kill him. They dug the pit, sold him to Potiphar's wife. You remember all this. It's just that clothesline, that history moving along. And now the 12 sons are all grown. Joseph is in Egypt. There comes a great famine and the guys that are in Canaan, the 11 brothers in the Canaan are about starved to death, and uh, so is their father, Jacob. And uh, so they go to Egypt to see if they can get any food. And they don't know how Joseph has become second in command. You remember how he interpreted Pharaoh's dream while he was in prison? They elevate him in the second commandment. So here's Joseph dressed like an Egyptian. They didn't recognize him. And uh, they have a little set too with the kids. And finally he reveals himself. Oh, they're scared to death. But he tells them, don't worry. You intended for bad, but God intended for good. And go get my dad and bring him in. And jo- Jacob and all the 12 boys moved to Egypt because Joseph was there. And they all bowed down to Joseph, who was second in command in Egypt. Wow, those blessings work. Some of our kids may want us to rethink this thing and lay hands on, give some blessings along the way. Well, they were in Egypt for 400 years. Now remember, we've moved from the Abrahamic covenant all the way along the clothesline. Now we're 400 years with them in Egypt. Twelve sons. 12 rascals with their families. You know, I'll bet family supper with them in Egypt was a mess. Finally, a Pharaoh came up who did not know Joseph and could care less, saw that all these children of Jacob were becoming a pest, and so he put them into slavery. 400 years later, Jacob is dead now. Uh, He's been buried. Joseph uh, dies and his bones are buried in Egypt. And he reminds the boy, when God takes you away from here, and he's going to, take my bones with you. Well, there was a young little boy in the bulrushes, uh, birthed of an Israelite woman, uh, found by the name of Moses, who was raised by... The, the daughter of the Pharaoh and Moses grew up knowing he was special to God because he was going to be the deliverer for Israel out of Egyptian bondage. Well, when he got old enough, he tried and of all things he failed, he killed that one Egyptian, buried him in the sand and he had to leave for 40 years on the backside of Midian. And finally, God got his attention with a burning bush, said, now get back to Egypt and get my people free. So he did. And the ten plagues are all the story on this clothesline of biblical history. And finally, on the, uh, what we now know to be the Passover day, God delivered the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage under Moses. Okay and they traveled for 50 days. You know the story of dividing the sea, the Red Sea, all that. They traveled for 50 days, came to Mount Sinai. Now God says, okay, Moses, come on up. You know who Moses is the child of, don't you? From Judah. He comes up into the mountain and he says, now I'm gonna make a new covenant with you. We're going to call it the Mosaic Covenant or we're going to call it the covenant of Mount Sinai, okay? And he gave him the law and the tabernacle and all of that, told him the feast days, told him everything like that for the nation of Israel. And Israel, the 12 sons at Pentecost on that first Pentecost under Moses and that new covenant, became a great nation. Now Israel's not just a patchwork of people, it's a great nation. And everybody who was involved in the Abrahamic covenant is now included in that Mosaic covenant, the difference is this. The Abrahamic covenant was unconditional because there was to be an eternal feature to it. The Mosaic covenant was a conditional covenant. It was not eternal. It had to do only with the nation of Israel. We have the Ten Commandments that come from that covenant. We have all the uh, the uh, feast days, all of the celebratory sacrifices that come from that covenant. And uh, you remember how they wandered in the wilderness for all those years, and then they went into Egypt. Moses died on the mountain, and uh, uh, he the others were led uh, into into uh, the land of Egypt, and they established their nation now we have two clothespins the Abrahamic Covenant all that history now we have the Mosaic Covenant all at once we got a lot more history because the nation of Israel have a lot of Kings the Chronicles lists a bunch of those people and Israel the nation doesn't do too well they don't keep their covenant They didn't fulfill it. They didn't know that the whole purpose was not for them to fulfill it, but the purpose was to show them they needed a different kind of covenant, that they needed an eternal God in a different manner, but they didn't know that. They'll find it out later, but they didn't know it then, and so Israel became a nation, and uh, They went into trouble. They sinned. Some of their kings were rotten. Some of them were good. Some of them had revival. Some of them didn't. And the prophets would rise up. And the prophets would preach about repentance and turning back to God and all of that. Then one day a prophet arose by the name of Jeremiah who boldly in chapter 31 announced, I'm telling you there's going to be a new covenant, a third clothespin. The first is the Abrahamic covenant, the second is the Mosaic covenant, the third is the new covenant. And it's going to be made with a new Israel and with a new high priest and a new lawgiver and his name is Jesus. Jesus. And so history went by until finally on the 30th 30 A.D. on the day of the Passover feast, this one called Jesus died on the cross. And by his blood, which by the way, Abraham's covenant was verified by blood. And the sign of it was uh, circumcision. Uh, The Mosaic covenant was verified by Uh, blood and the sign of it was the Sabbath day. Now there's a new covenant and it is verified by blood too, but it's the blood of the new covenant, the Lord Jesus, who is the new lamb. He's the new Isaac. He's the new, by the way, you do know that Jacob who gave birth to Isaac had his name changed to Israel. And so Jesus is the new Israel who is the new Isaac, the new Moses, the new lawgiver. Everything in the new covenant is brand new. Okay? Now we come, and i got to close real quick, to Galatians 4. Paul says, remember, all of you who are in the churches in Galatia... Uh, there were two boys, Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael was born in the natural way. That's a picture of the Mosaic covenant. It's man's natural efforts to try to be. That's not the covenant we're a part of. We're a part of the Isaiah, uh, Isaiah seed, which is the new covenant of promise. God supernaturally did it. And so Paul said, your outline has it there. I won't have time to get into it. The question was asked, what does the law say? It says you either do it by rules and regulations, which was Ishmael, the mosaic or the Sinaitic covenant. You do it by rules and regulations or you do it by grace and mercy, which is the new covenant. So ladies and gentlemen, Paul in Galatians 4 is saying, which children are we? In the church today, we're in the new covenant. We don't live by the rules and regulations of the Sinaiic or the Mosaic covenant at all. The eternal promise of the covenant with Abraham is fulfilled in who Jesus is. Now, do you understand that historical context for the covenants? If you don't understand it, I'll start over. I'm just joking. In our next few studies that I'll be doing, I'll be trying to show us some of the theological content of the new covenant, what that makes us so different in grace than we are in rules and regulation and how we must learn to live. Not an old covenant lifestyle, of do this, don't do this, don't do, go there, don't do that, but rather we're free to be whatever God purposes for us to be. Would you like to see those as we go along? We'll start there. The next time I'm with you, we'll, we'll look at it a different way and continue. Well, I wasn't sure my study in history would be any more exciting than it was at OBU, but I hope it was a little more understandable. Does that help? If you think I did it okay, raise your hand. Please raise your hand. Oh, thank you. Thank you. No, I'm I'm joking. This, I dreaded trying to give history more than you can ever know. But thank you for listening. Now, hug six people, shake six hands. And if you don't, do it before you leave. You lose your salvation. (laughs) We'll see you in the service. Happy Father's Day to all of you.